Hey guys, I just want to let you know it's uh, really good to be able to week in, week out, kind of jump into your living room, around the kitchen table, on the way to work with you, coffee shop, uh, wherever it is that you're, you're watching this. Uh, many of you uh, we know, and um, we want you to know we love you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, like how we can be praying for you, how you're doing. So uh, I'd love for you to reach out, email the church office here. Uh, but we count it a privilege to be able to each week talk with you. Uh, some of you we don't know. Some of you are from different places, and we're glad this can be something in your life that kind of provides some encouragement and enrichment uh, as we kind of walk this journey together. Today, we want to start a new conversation. This weekend at uh, the Norton campus, we're starting a brand new conversation. I'm so excited about it. Uh, and what it's going to feel like at the end of today is that I'm not done. And the reason it's going to feel that way is, well, because I won't be done. Uh, today's just kind of the intro. I want to start a conversation, and I want to focus. We've been going through books. Uh, what we want to do in this conversation is focus on a small little passage in one small little book. Uh, the book, if you have a Bible, your phone, whatever, and want to turn there, go ahead and open that up to the book of James. It's in the New Testament, and I'd love for you to open that up, lay it in your lap, get a piece of paper, something to write some notes, but we're going to take a look at a small little passage. You can go to chapter 3 in the book of James. Now, James was written by, you guessed it, you're way ahead of me, James, right? But uh, James, more than likely, the James that wrote this was the half-brother of Jesus. And something's interesting, I think is interesting about James, is he was skeptical to start with, Right? He's like, what's this, what's this thing my brother's about, right? He's kind of like, my brother thinks he's the Messiah, you know? <laughs> Who of us didn't have an older brother that thought that, right? And he's like, I don't know, I don't buy it. But James went from being a skeptical brother to a pillar in the church in Jerusalem. And so he's writing this. Now, what's interesting about James is written very early. Uh, some say about 45 AD-ish, right? And uh, he's writing this as a pillar in the church in Jerusalem. James is addressing Jewish Christians who are scattered. So that's interesting, so keep this in mind. He, to sc they're scattered for various reasons. And, and when you see the book of James, the letter that James wrote, Jesus' half-brother, he's looking around at real people, and these real people are in real situations, and he sees some real things that are going on, and so he feels like he really needs to address them. James is a real book. It is a real book, and he looks around and he sees some real things going on. When James looked around at the people, here's what he saw. He saw people who were facing some really, really hard times. And those really, really hard times, they were revealing the substance of their faith. Uh, the hard times they were facing, they were going through a famine. Uh, and there was this utter... Uh, poverty that was taking place because of a famine. Uh, some of them were undergoing persecution because of their faith in Jesus. And some of that persecution was coming from the religious leaders. Uh, when James looked around, he saw people who were tripping on their faith. They were, they were tripping up and doubting God's goodness. Uh, when he looked around, he saw people who were going to church they were praising God one minute, singing worship songs, and the very next moment, they were slandering their brother. They were cursing people the very next minute. When James looked around, he saw people's vicious comments setting a spark of anger, kind of like a wildfire is what he called it. When James looked around, he saw this arrogant, rampant prejudice and favoritism. People would kind of cozy up to people because of what they could do for them. They would show deference to the rich who they thought could be of benefit to them. 
People who would hoard their wealth. The rich were getting richer and the poor were, you guessed it, being ignored. When James looked around, he saw angry people yelling to share their opinions. And it didn't seem like anybody was really listening. And he saw people who were fighting and quarreling so that they could simply get what they wanted. Are you noticing anything here? <laughs> that day that James was writing in sounds a lot like what? Say it out loud, today. <laughs> today, when we see a worldwide pandemic that, quite frankly, has revealed the substance of many of our faith. Many people in their faith find themselves doubting God's goodness because things don't seem good, or at least their version of good. People that are worshiping God one minute and posting hate the next. Lots of anger, a little listening, sparks set ablaze by tweets and TikTok and tribalism. School board meetings that look more like TV reality shows. People yelling at each other and over each other. People fighting and demanding their rights while real needs of real people are being ignored. That day sounds like today, and that day drove James to ask a question that's as relevant today as it was that day. And here's the question, James 3, verse 13. It's the question that this entire series is based on, and it goes like this. Who is wise and understanding among you? James is looking for a little wisdom. He's looking for somebody who might display a little wisdom, somebody who has a little understanding. James is looking around. And he sees all this stuff going, all this chaos, all these fractured relationships. And he says, is there anybody who can connect the dots? Is there anybody who can see the big picture? Is there anybody who's willing to do the right thing? Is there anybody who can navigate the chaos of the day with deft understanding and godly wisdom? You see, wisdom, wisdom is a theme that cuts a path throughout the entire Bible. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible that's devoted to wisdom. You know what it is? If you know what it is, say it out loud. Yeah, if you said Proverbs, you'd be right. The book of Proverbs is a Old Testament book. Uh, I heard one author say it this way, James is simply the book of Proverbs in New Testament clothes. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Book of Proverbs says this about wisdom. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. That sounds familiar, like James. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you'll understand what it means to fear the Lord. You'll gain the knowledge of God. For the Lord is the one who grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. I like Proverbs 4, 7. Look what it says. The beginning of wisdom, in fact, that Hebrew is constructed that, that you can say it this way, and some of your uh, translations may say it this way, uh, wisdom is supreme. It's, that's really what he's saying. It's the most important. And then he says this, get wisdom. And then I like this, says, though it costs you all you have, get understanding. God says, get wisdom. It's so important, so necessary, <laughs> that even if it costs you everything, you will be able to look back and say, I made a good investment. Now, when you get to the book of Proverbs, we'll get back to James here in a second. Proverbs is all about wisdom and, and Solomon, like James, is looking around and he sees people. And when he looks around and sees people, he sees four different kinds of people. I don't know if you ever knew this or not, but the book of Proverbs kind of outlines four different kinds of people. The first is this. If you're taking notes, you can write it down this way, the simple uh, Proverbs 7, 7, I saw among the simple and I noticed the young man, a youth who had no sense. 
Uh, there's this youthful gullibility, right? Just inexperience. Uh, he says in Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believe anything. They just don't know better, right? They're gullible. They're naive. Uh, maybe they believe like the wise philosopher of our day, Taylor Swift said. <laughs> when you are 15 and someone tells you that they love you, you're going to believe them, right? That's like the simple mind. It's like, the God, I'm going be- to take it in. I'm going to believe. I just don't know. I was listening to a pastor talking about preaching or teaching at a uh, conference in China. And his schedule was packed. And the last day he was there, he had some margin. He and his wife wanted to go see the Great Wall of China. And so they signed up to be part of the excursion that the leader of the conference was putting together. But he was going to have to leave halfway through it to go to the airport to make his way back home. They went with the group. They saw the Great Wall of China. And then when it came time for him to need to leave, he and his wife grabbed their luggage, ran and caught a taxi because they had to make their way to the airport to make their flight. He noticed that the leader of the trip came running after him and kept saying to him in his broken English, said, get out of the cab. The guy in the cab's like, you don't understand. We got to make a plane. I got things to do. Got to get back home. And, and, and the leader kept begging and insisting, get out of the cab. And the pastor was telling his story. He said, I got so frustrated. And I said, what, what do you want? I got to go. I got to get on the airplane. The guy says, you must get out of the cab. Well, finally, just out of sheer just, just frustration, he tells the cab driver, let us get our luggage, you go on. And he looks at the guy and he said, dude, so what in the world is your problem? We got to make the airplane. And the guy looks at him and says, that is not a cab. <laughs> he said, that man was going to take you out into the country, <laughs> steal all of your stuff and beat you and your wife. The guy looks like I was simple-minded and he didn't know better, right? And he was going to be in deep weeds had that guy not stopped him. That's simple. Book of Proverbs. The second is this, and you you probably already guessed this. The second category of people is the fool. The fool. Proverbs talks a lot about the fool. Here's a few passages. A fool, uh, here's what they do. They find pleasure in wicked schemes. The Bible talks about this. Sin can seem pleasant for a season. That's a fool. It's like, oh man, this is awesome. Uh, a, f- a fool makes fun of guilt. Uh, a fool will spurn their parents' discipline. Uh, and then here's one all every parent knows, right? Or, or, or at least they believe. A companion of fools suffers harm. That's why you pray for your kids. I want their, their friends, right, to be a certain crew. Because a fool knows better and they do what's unwise. I know what the label says, yet I'm going to do it anyways, right? And so when you hang out with fools, it leads to harm, right? I mean, all of us have story after story after story, right? I remember my mom used to tell me, don't go out after church. We'd have this Sunday night church thing going on. She said, don't go out and throw snowballs at the cars on the highway, right? And don't hang out with people who are doing that. I heard her say it a million times. I heard her tell me all the things that could happen. And yet, what did I do Sunday night after Sunday night? I was a companion of fools, or maybe uh, some other people's mom thought I was one of the fools they were a companion with. I don't know, but we went out through snowballs at cars until one of those cars stopped and a bunch of young adults started chasing us. And I'm like, oh, that's what my mom's talking about, right? Yeah, it's a fool. But then there's this third, third, and and, and it's kind of escalating, right? And, and the book of Proverbs, that's the mocker, or you can write the word scoffer. 
Here's what Proverbs 9 says. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Proverbs 13.1, a mocker does not respond to rebukes. I heard it put this way once. I thought it was good. If you correct the simple, they might not get you. This might not understand it, right? If you correct a fool, they quite possibly will ignore you. But if you correct a mocker, here's what they'll do. They'll criticize you. We live in a day where there's a lot of mocking and scoffing going on. Can anybody say social media? <laughs> right? Uh, a mocker is a fool on steroids. They think they're wise. And here's what they do. They try to control others through their criticism. And they criticize others for doing what's right. And do you see what Proverbs says? If you correct a mocker, you're going to invite insults. And some of you know that. You try to correct people on Facebook or whatever and whatnot, and it just kind of, it comes back full force, right? You see, here's what I know. Times of chaos, listen close, because it's going to go where we're going today. Times of chaos reveal the simple, the foolish, and the mocker. And what James is looking around with Solomon, like, where's the wise? Where's the understanding? Because there's a fourth, and that is the wise, and that's who James is looking for. He, he's looking around, he sees a lot of simple, he sees a lot of foolish, he sees a lot of mocking, he sees a lot of scoffing, and if James was living in our day, he would do the same, and he says, where, where? I'm looking, where are the wise? Where are the understanding? And look what he says, he teaches us some things by way of introduction today. We're just going to get this conversation started. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? Then he says this, let them show it. Let them show it. Write this down. This is the first thing I want you to write down. Wisdom will show up, not just speak up. Wisdom will show up, not just speak up. Uh, wisdom is not just lip service, it's lifestyle. Here's what you need to know about wisdom. It's not just old age. It's not, hey, you're old, you rise. No, you don't get that card. It's not just IQ. It's not just being smart. It's not just scoring 34 in the ACT. Wisdom, this is definition, by definition is skilled living and applying knowledge to many diverse situations. I heard one person put it this way, wise men all have knowledge, but all knowledgeable men don't have wisdom. That's good. Pause your pause and write that down, because <laughs> that's true. Some of you uh, are familiar with the book of James, and I want to make a connection. I'm going to connect some dots for you here. James is saying, let them show it. Here's what he's saying, that wisdom is your faith in God put into action in all kinds of situations and relationships in life. That's what he's saying. That if you want to know what wisdom is, it's your faith in God in action in the middle of all kinds of life situations and relationships. That's what James spends his book talking about, right? Faith and actions go together. James 2 says, same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. It's another way of him saying that's, that you know wisdom shows up when faith is accompanied by action. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I'll show you my faith by my deeds. That's wisdom. You believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that. If you just say, I believe there's a God, but your life doesn't demonstrate that, it's like, what? That's not wisdom. And then he says, you're a foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? And that's the reason he writes the book. 
Here's what James is saying. He says, looking for someone who is wise, you look for someone who walks their talk, someone whose faith shows up, someone whose life demonstrates what they believe. Wisdom is faith in action. Uh, some of you are football fans out there. Raise your hand if you are. I can see it, right? Football fans. Ohio State, Penn State, end of October, right? Ohio State, Penn State, end of October. If I'm not here, that means we lost, right? But some of your football fans, you know that a great... Uh, coach passed away here recently, uh, Bobby Bowden, and uh, he coached Florida State, and I had the privilege, uh, a friend of mine here from the church took me to meet his son, Terry Bowden, who was the University of Akron head coach, and we spent uh, some time in Terry Bowden's office, but uh, Terry Bowden, I didn't know this, uh, this friend of mine said, hey, I wanted my pastor to meet you, and uh, the weekend before I went to meet Terry Bowden, he had flown to see his father, Bobby Bowden. And he told Bobby Bowden that he was going to be meeting this friend of mine, uh, his pastor, who happened to be me. And unbeknownst to me, what he did was he got his father's book and had his father write a handwritten note to me uh, and sign the book. It's like, what a privilege, what an honor. Like, when I met him, he gave me the book. I was blown away and speechless. Bobby Bowden wrote Pastor Dan, and he's like, keep faithful, and all that kind of stuff. But the name of his book caught my attention. It's The Wisdom of Faith. He combines these two things together. It's interesting. If you know Bobby Bowden, he's a man of faith, right? The Wisdom of Faith. That wisdom is faith with flesh on it. Now, here's where it gets good. Look back at, at your Bible. So what is wisdom? Well, let them show it. It shows up, doesn't just speak up. Show it by what? By their good, circle that word, underline it, highlight it, good life. Good. That seems to be a benign word, doesn't it? Good. James could have chosen two different words here. It, it, this, this is written in Greek. Uh, the one word he could have chosen that means good is agathos. You can forget that, but it means to be morally good. You're a good boy, morally good. The second word that he could have chosen was this word kalos. If you're writing notes, K-A-L-O-S, uh, English transliteration. Here's what that word means. Attractive, beautiful, lovely in every way that inspires a loveliness in others. Guess what? That's the word he chose. And I think that is powerful. <laughs> I think that is profound. Because I think it tells me something about how wisdom shows up in our life. Write this down because we're going to spend the rest of the series fleshing it out. But wisdom shows up in a beautiful life that has a fruitful impact on my relationships. This whole section is addressing people in the middle of fractured, chaotic, splintered relationships. And what James is saying is wisdom is attractive and lovely and the beauty of wisdom plays out in our relationships. Wisdom can connect the dots of knowledge and place them skillfully and beautifully in the context of our relationships. Our close relationships, our marriage relationships, our family relationships, our work relationships. Listen, 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 lean in. And our difficult relationships. That wisdom shows up with this beautiful life. You know how I know that? Because if you look at the rest of the context, the lack of wisdom <clears throat> shows up in a chaotic life full of bitterness and broken relationships. Look what it says, verse 14. It says, but if you harbor 
bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven. The first thing he says is there's this fake wisdom doesn't come from heaven. And he says, fake wisdom is self-absorbed. Everything revolves around me. Look at the words he chooses. It's so self-absorbed that if you harbor bitter envy, let me teach you something about this. (laughs) Do you know what bitter envy means? Here's literally what it means, right? Here's the, the sterile definition, then let's play it out. It's zeal that is pricked. You say, oh, that doesn't help me, Dan. It's somebody who's bothered when someone else gets attention. You ever been to a birthday party, a little kid's birthday party, and their little buddy shows up? You're, come on. If you have kids, you know this. And they're frustrated because the party's all about their friend and they get there and they want, like, I want presents, I want cake, I want, right, right? And it's like, okay, they're a little kid. But when that plays out in our adult lives, some of us just struggle with that because we really like the world to revolve around us. Then he says this selfish ambition. That's an interesting word. Um, This is what Paul, this is a, a term that would have been kind of associated like, uh, similar to politicians who would do anything to win an election. He, he, you're saying, Dan, help me understand that. Selfish ambition is when my life becomes, you ready? A never-ending campaign where my goal is for you to vote for me as the most important person in the world. I mean, he's like, fake wisdom is self-absorbed. He didn't stop there. He said, it's not from heaven. You see, he says, it's earthly. Is short-sighted is what he's saying. It doesn't see the big picture. It's unspiritual. It's, it's sensual. It's based on feelings, not fact. You ever heard anybody make decisions that way? I just feel. You tracking? This is what James is like real. He's today. And then he says it's demonic. He, he's like, fake wisdom is satanic. <laughs> and he says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder in every evil practice. There is where you look around and you're like, I see simple, foolish, scoffing, mocking people, and there's chaos everywhere. <laughs> there's fractured relationships everywhere. He says, wisdom shows a beautiful life, able to connect the dots, or fruitful impact, even in relationships that are difficult and where there's disagreement. Let me stop for a minute. We'll take a straw poll here. Is there anybody listening to my voice right now who thinks we need wisdom? Beautiful relationships have a fruitful impact in our relationships. Whether they be close relationships with people who agree with us or difficult relationships with people who don't. He goes on, he says, not just shows up in their good deeds, but look at this. But he says, who is wise? And he doesn't just say, but and you keyword is understanding among you. Let him show it by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Hey, here's the way I would say it. Wisdom shows up in the humble pursuit of understanding. Let me make quick work of this, but a wise person will pursue understanding to apply wisdom. Write this down somewhere in your notes. Wisdom and understanding always hold hands. Read the book of Proverbs and just circle every time you see them together. They, they just always show up. They're like twins, right? They're always together. Different people always together, though. Uh, when you look at the book of Proverbs, you'll see this. It's not surprising that James includes them both here. 
Why? Because somebody who is wise has pursued understanding. I use the illustration with tons of people. If I were sitting in my office, looked out the window, and somebody was crawling around in the parking lot, I might stand in the window and think to myself, they're crazy. I might call the cops. Say, I got a crazy guy crawling around. Can you do something? I, I might go to the corner of the building and yell at them. Say, get out of the parking lot. You're, you're a nuisance. You're right. I might just like tell them my opinion of what they should do. But if I pursued understanding, I might get down in the parking lot with them and say, help me understand. Why are you crawling around in my parking lot? And if they looked up at me and said, I lost my contact, then I could do what? I could apply wisdom. Wisdom shows up when I humbly pursue understanding. Wisdom doesn't just tell what it knows, it decides to learn. Wisdom doesn't always give its opinion, it asks questions, then it listens and learns and it wants to understand. Here's what James is saying, wisdom doesn't just speak up, it shows up. In this humble pursuit of understanding, it shows up in this beautiful life, connects the dots in relationships. Now, I'll show you this. James says there's two kinds of wisdom. He says, who's wise and understanding among you? Verse 14, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, don't boast about it, we talked about that. Such wisdom doesn't come down from heaven, but it's earthly, short-sighted, unspiritual, sensual, feelings, not fact, demonic, satanic. For where you have this, you'll, you'll find disorder in every evil practice. But there's a second kind of wisdom, and that wisdom comes from heaven. What James is saying here is there is wisdom, but that wisdom is not from heaven. There's an earthly wisdom. There's an there's a unspiritual wisdom. There's a demonic wisdom. It's short-sighted, right? And then there's a true wisdom, and that true wisdom comes from heaven. And there are people who may think they're wise, and there are people that are truly wise because their wisdom comes from above. The question is, how do I become that wise? Like James looking around, who's wise that way? Who's wise not in a fake, unspiritual way, but who's wise in a way that they're wise with a wisdom from above way? What makes me think of something the book of Proverbs says, that I think it's going to help us get to the answer of this. Proverbs 13.20 says this, If you want to be wise, walk with the wise and become wise. If you want to be wise, walk with the wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. It tells me something about wisdom. Second big point I want you to write down is this. Wisdom is walking with God. He says, if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. Wisdom is walking with God. Wisdom comes from walking with the all-wise one. Daniel uh, says it this way. He says, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes times and epochs. He removes kings and establishes kings. He is the one who gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. I love that passage. He is the all-wise one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, the foolishness of God, he's using a kind of a figure speech here, is wiser than men. Proverbs 2, 6, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Proverbs 9, 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The bottom line is that wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is walking with God, cultivating a relationship with God, uh, listening to God, learning from God, 
following God. You want to be wise, here's the deal, walk with God. And if wisdom is walking with God, then that means several things. And here's where we close. Three things it's going to mean for you. And we'll be quick about this. Three things. One of them is found here in James. So if you have your Bible open to James, just go back to chapter 1 because that's where he begins talking about wisdom. Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, here we go, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. When you ask, believe, don't doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. It's kind of cool. I hear this passage quoted all the time. I'm, I just need to ask God, like, like the number one thing people pray for from God is wisdom. I need wisdom. I often hear this quoted, but, but many times it gets quoted out of context. Like, I think it's great to ask God for wisdom in all situations, but the situation that that passage is written in is interesting to me. Look at the verses right above verse 5. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. It doesn't say if. It says when you do. When it gets chaotic. When it gets hard. When people disagree. Because what? Because because you feel. No. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Right? Which is, is James is big on this, right? This idea of wisdom is maturity and completeness, not lacking anything. That's the context. When he says, ask for wisdom, if you don't have it, it's in the context of suffering. Count it all joy when you face various trials because you know it's producing something in you that will lead to maturity and completeness. Tells me something about wisdom. I want you to write it down. Wisdom. Walking with God through hard times is an incubator for wisdom in my life. There it is. Walking with God through hard times, sometimes wisdom comes from my wounds. Sometimes wisdom is forged in the furnace. Sometimes wisdom grows in tragedy. Sometimes wisdom, the fruit of wisdom, comes when I walk with God through difficulty or opposition. Sometimes wisdom comes when I walk with God through injustice, hard relationships, opposition, unfair situations, circumstances I can't control. And all of a sudden I have to connect the dots and all of a sudden my faith has to get into action when it gets really, really hard. That's interesting, isn't it? It's interesting. Um, I remember a young man that, that worked for me. Um, he was going to preach his first sermon. The guy was really, really smart. Really smart. Smarter, twice as smart as I'll ever be, <laughs> you know. And I remember he came in to tell me and show to me the sermon he was going to preach. And he had the Hebrew parsed out. And he had like he had an outline and everything was footnoted and it was like it was like this dissertation and he was going to preach this sermon on a particular passage in the old testament like incredible academically and i remember thinking to myself wow this 
you did a lot of work and that was good and always is good and, and pastors need to do that. But I, I remember feeling to myself there, there wasn't any personal ribbon to it. Like, like it was just facts and presentation. Well, before, before he had preached that sermon, uh, he called me and the doctor had given him some devastating news. And it was devastating to him. And he came into my office and he was crying. And, th and then he, he asked about his sermon. And I said something. I said, I I'm happy to give you a pass on it, but I think you ought to preach. I think you ought to preach. The sermon was a couple weeks out. He struggled for a couple weeks, and I'll never forget sitting in that auditorium when that young man preached his first sermon, it's a sermon I will not ever forget because it dripped with the wisdom of somebody who was walking with God through a hard time. You see, fools turn their back on God when things get hard. They run from God when things are difficult, but a wise man will walk with God. Even this, they'll even wrestle with God in the hard stuff. You know, there's a... Another thing that I think is interesting, I want to jump to something Paul says. Keep your, your place there in James. But this idea of walking with God, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul kind of says something. He says, The message of the cross, the gospel, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, scholars, and world's brilliant debaters like these people that are incredibly smart in our world? God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom. He has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to Jews who ask for signs. It's foolish to Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, Jews might be offended. Gentiles might say it's nonsense. But to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God, and here it is, and the wisdom of God. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Write this down. If wisdom is walking with God, walking with God will appear unwise to some. <laughs> The point here is that walking with God and trusting God appears foolish to people in our world who would deem themselves wise. Is it really wise to believe the son of a carpenter who became a preacher? Is it really wise to believe this man who ended up dying in the middle of criminals and to believe that he's alive and that that story is the key to forgiveness and the devil's defeat? Is it really wise to believe that true greatness comes in serving others? Is it really wise to believe that true freedom is forgiving others? Is it really wise to believe that the purpose of my life is somehow found in surrendering my life? Even my rights to God, giving him control? Is it really wise to believe that to find my life, I ought to give it away? In our sophisticated world, it is foolishness. And the things of God found in the Bible that represents the heart of God seem foolish. And yet, here, the foolishness of God found in the Bible 
is really the discovery of something that's not time stamped, but it's beyond time in its wisdom. The Bible has much to say about things like marriage, sex, money, and power that walking with God, following Him, trusting Him, are going to seem unwise to your friends, to your co-workers. Which leads to, to one last thing. In that same passage, he goes on to say, instead God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise, and He chose the things that are powerless to shame those that are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, at all and use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. Now look at this. God has united you with Christ Jesus for our benefit. God made him, Christ, to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. That's wisdom. Therefore, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, boast only in the Lord. What he's saying is the wisdom is that is from above is found in Jesus. Wisdom is walking with God, the God who walked with us and walks with us and died for us. Wisdom came down in the person of Jesus, and Jesus is the wisdom of God in flesh walking around. And when the wisdom of God showed up, he taught some things that didn't seem very wise. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who make peace. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Turn the other cheek. Doesn't seem wise. He didn't just teach things that didn't seem wise, but the wisdom of God, Jesus, showed up, didn't just speak up. And he did things that didn't seem wise. He invited little kids to come to him in some important moments. He ate with outcasts. He mingled with people that others ignored. He spoke with compassion to people that others condemned, and his life seemed to end tragically in defeat. That he predicted would happen, and he said would be the ultimate victory. You see, it reminds me of something that his cousin, John the Baptizer, said about him. John the Baptist in John 3 said, Jesus has come from above, and he's greater than anyone else. We're of the earth. We speak of earthly things, but he came from heaven above and he's greater than anyone else he testifies about what he's seen and heard but how few believe what he tells them anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that god is true for he is sent by god he speaks god's words for god gives him the spirit without limit the father loves his son and has put everything into his hands he's like jesus is from above and when he speaks he speaks with this vantage point because he is the wisdom of god in the flesh which led John to say this. Before he got to verse 31, he says, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. Here's where we end today to segue into the rest of the series. Walking with God means less of me and more Jesus. That's what it means. Walking with God means less of me. That's what John's saying, less of me and more and more Jesus. That's where the rest of the series, he says, verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving. Sound familiar? Considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, because peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If you want to be wise, 
trust Jesus. If you want to be wise, follow Jesus. If you want to be wise, look for Jesus. If you want to be wise, less of you, more of him. Sometimes I ask for wisdom and what I'm looking for is an explanation from God and what I find is Jesus, who is the ultimate explanation of God. When I read the Bible, sometimes I'm looking for nuggets of wisdom and what Jesus said is when I read the Bible, I find the person of wisdom, Jesus. Walking with God means less of me, selfish ambition, bitter envy, chaos and disorder, and more of Jesus. Let me ask the question James asked. Who's wise and understanding among us? God, I pray. I pray that this conversation that we begin today would lead us to an understanding of what it means to have a show-up kind of wisdom that shows up in a beautiful life with fruitful relationships, that shows up in this humble pursuit of understanding, that walks with God. God, as we walk with you, we walk with you in the furnace, in the hard times, realizing that's the incubator for wisdom. We walk with you even though the world says many things that we would trust you about, or they're unwise. And the more we walk with you, the more Jesus comes alive and less of us, more of him. And that's what I pray for the people who are listening this moment. I pray this in Jesus' name, the all-wise one. Amen.